your guide to the comic book multiverse. I'm podcast form. I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And this week we are celebrating our one year podcast anniversary by covering the Amalgam books. Yep. And Amalgam was actually published in two waves, one that came during the Marvel vs. DC, DC vs. Marvel event in 1996, and the other was published in 1997 and featured a lot of uh, follow-up issues, which was an interesting idea, but if you're one of those people who's like really concerned about continuity and stories meaning things, I guess they wouldn't have meant anything to you at all. And the first wave consisted of Amazon, Assassins, Doctor Strange Fate, JLX, Legends of the Dark Claw, Super Soldier, Bruce Wayne, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Bullets and Bracelets, Magneto and the Magnetic Men, Speed Demon, Spider-Boy, and X-Patrol, while the 1997 wave consisted of Bat-Thing, Dark Claw Adventures, Generation Hex, JLX Unleashed, Lobo the Duck, Super Soldier, Man of War, Challengers of the Fantastic, The Exciting X-Patrol, Iron Lantern, The Magnetic Men featuring Magneto, Spider-Boy Team-Up, and Thor Ryan of the New Asgods. Incredible. Well, not really. I mean, some of the titles were really not good. Nope. But this week we are covering a large chunk of the, uh... Or, well, we're covering all of the first run and then a big chunk of the second run because we'll be wrapping this up next week along with the Axis series from Marvel and DC that followed up. So the uh, first series that we ended up reading, Devin and I sort of did a on-and-off coverage thing, was Amazon, which was done by John Byrne with Terry Austin, Patricia Mulville, and John Costanza. Just because there are so many creators on a lot of these books and there are so many creative teams, we are not giving the standard full breakdown. Because we had actually recorded an earlier version of this episode and it took like two minutes, it felt like, to go through each creative team. So, good news. Slash, sorry Love all of you guys. Yeah, just not enough. Well, we, we're shortening it because we love you guys. So Amazon is about Aurora, who's normally Storm of the X-Men, who in this universe is Wonder Woman. She's the representative of the Amazons because Diana, who's normally Wonder Woman, ended up not being worthy enough. Uh, Aurora had gotten capsized onto Themyscira, the normal Amazon island, and it turned out that Poseidon, the god, had been really angry at her father for stealing treasure from her. So this adventure brings her face-to-face with Poseidon, who's angry at her, pulls her down into his treasure lair, and she ends up finding the treasure that Poseidon killed her father for, and Aurora's like, you know, this was a really stupid idea, because my dad was one of the only people who actually, like, studied or believed in you, and you straight-up murdered him for doing his job. And Poseidon's like, oh, shit, yeah, I sort of messed up there. And that's pretty much... The entire issue. Um, there's also a brief cameo that is like, oh, Diana has shown up at Storm's house in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But, like, because it's only a one-issue one-shot and, and there was no return for the sequel, or, well, 
And because there's no issues afterwards, it's like, oh, well, that's neat that you sort of did it this way, but it sort of clunks there at the end. One of the neat things, though, is a lot of these books ended up having letter columns. So the one for Amazon is called Letters to Paradise, which is a solid title. And the letters which were written by the creators are filled with all sorts of, like, winks and nods to other series that came before in this fake amalgam universe. Yeah. The second series was Assassins, which was written by Deji Chichester with Scott McDaniel, Derek Fisher, Ken Lopez, and Pat Garrahy on the artistic team. And we have two characters, Dare, who's also known as Slade Murdoch, who's a combination of Daredevil and Deathstroke, except she's female. And Cat's Eye, who is Electric Kyle, who's one of the many mixes of Selena Kyle Catwoman who shows up. And here she is mixed with Electra. And they're attacking the mayor of New Gotham, and it's sort of a uh not necessarily die hard, but the like invade the base, fight the super assassins, and take down the big boss. And it's surprisingly better than I thought it would be. Like it it's very nineties art, but it's Fun, it knows what it's trying to be, and it doesn't really have any preconceived notions. Well, pretty much all of this is super 90s art. Yeah, there's exceptions, but I mean, like, this was 90s, like, Jim Lee-style art. I mean, this was also made in the 90s. Yeah. But, I mean, like, some of the stuff feels a bit more timeless and a bit less Liefeldian. Oh, I agree with you there. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's fun because you have uh, assassins like Deadeye, who's a mix of Bullseye and Deadshot, Lethal, who's a mix of Cheetah and Craven, and the, like, big final boss is Enigma Fisk, the big question, who's a mix of the Riddler and Kingpin. Though probably my favorite thing about this book is that the letter column is called Last Rites, which is a solid pun. That is a good one. And then the first series that you're covering is... Bruce Wayne, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, we got Creative Team, writing by Chuck Dixon, with art by Gary Nord, Mark Pennington, and Richard Starklings. And Steve Busoletto on the colors. Oh, yes. The one whose name I can never read because that print is super small. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it starts off with everyone's favorite megalomaniac, the Green Skull, a combination of Lex Luthor and the Red Skull. And he's basically trying to destroy the world with his giant bombs. And who should um, stop him? But his own daughter, surprisingly betraying him. And his daughter's a mix-up of Catwoman and um, Madame Viper. And basically, he also, he also has a team up now of... Baron Zero, which is a combination of Mr. Freeze. Nuke, which is a combination of the Daredevil villain Nuke and Bane. And then I was blank on who that last person is. He's the cyborg who featured greatly in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh yes, it's Deathlock. Yeah, and you forgot uh, Baron Zero is a mix of Baron Zemo and Mr. Freeze. Yes. And Deathlock is a mix of Deathlock and Jason Todd, which actually showed up before Jason Todd came back to life. Yes. Yeah, which is actually a really cool, like, little thing they did there. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's Nick Fury just yelling at a young Bruce Wayne who is trying to take down 
the Green Skull, mostly out of a personal vendetta because the Green Skull is the person who killed his parents, who are also S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Um, we also have, just helping the S.H.I.E.L.D. team is Batgirl. We also have a fantastic Tony Stark, who is basically the oracle of this team. And then we also have Moonwing, which is Dick Grayson as Moon Knight. And there's also Huntress, who is Carol Danvers plus Batgirl. Yes. And Barbara Gordon's codename is Mockingbird. They basically all just invade. There's some great battles. Most in pick, particular between Nuke and Bane. And Wait, you said Nuke and Bane. Well, the Nuke and Bane, like, amalgam. Yeah, versus... The Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Bruce gets the jump on him. And Moonwing gets the jump on the Deathlock. And basically we have the whole Bruce Wayne finally defeats Madam Viper and says, you need to stop this. Just because your father's now dead, we shouldn't be having these petty, like, child going against, like, another enemy to get revenge for their parents, even though that's exactly what Bruce Wayne has done for his entire life. And then it ends with the world seemingly about to be destroyed by the Green Skull, who has faked his own death. Yep, and that book did not have a letter column to it. It did not. Oh, and actually I should mention, the fact that Bruce Wayne is in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. is because Bruce Wayne is Mr. Moneybags. He flat out bought it because he could. Which is pretty great. Oh yeah, no, I, I totally respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the series after that was Bullets and Bracelets, written by... Famous DC creator John Ostrander, the guy who put together the original Suicide Squad with Gary Frank, Cam Smith, Richard Starkings and Comicraft, and John Callas. And it's a team-up book of Princess Diana, so who's the woman who's normally Wonder Woman, and Trevor Castle, who's the Punisher. He's a mix of Steve Trevor and Frank Castle. And it turns out that their son has been kidnapped by the evil Lord Thanos' side. And so they end up going to Apocalypse, fighting Big Titania, who's a mix of Titania and Big Barda, because she sort of lost her way after Scott Free died. And when they finally confront Thanos' side, uh, he's there with Granny Harkness, who has their son Ryan, and uh, Kanto is also there. And Kanto's not really combined with anybody and Thanos' side really wants to know where these things called the Infinity Links are, and there's like six different Infinity Gym, like, sort of items in the series, so it's like, in the various series, so it's weird that this is just another one of them. you think they'd have a bit of a clarity on that. Mm-hmm. But as they uh, start to fight, uh, Diana ends up staring down Kanto, who, like, after they lock eyes, they refuse to fight, the Punisher shows up with Orion's harness and, like, in retribution, because Orion is dead in this universe and Orion is Thanos' son, he Omega beams their baby, disintegrating him. But Diana has already figured out that uh, because the Omega beams send people back in time instead of destroying them, Ryan is now Kanto. And Thanos, I'd realizing that, like, Diana still loves and recognizes her son, just teleports everyone away. And so Kanto and Big Titania end up going to New Asgardia, and Diana and Trevor end up getting back home where their love is sort of rekindled for each other. 
But you know what's stranger than combining Thanos and Darkseid? What? Doctor Strange Fate. Wrong, man. And yeah, we have Doctor Strange Fate, who was written by Ron Mars, with Jose Luis Garcia, Kevin Nolan, Matt Hollingsworth, and Krista Lafios uh, doing the art team. And basically, this starts off with this is actually one of the ones that actually kind of connects through everything else that's like been having the story so far, Marvel versus DC, with Axis on the run through the sewers, only to be caught by the Abominite. It was a mix-up of Abomination and... Helgramite, who recently showed up on Supergirl. Yes. Uh, basically, he ends up magically teleporting away right before Abominite is about to destroy him, which is news to him because he had no idea he could do that. Dr. Strange Fate who is a com- uh, combination of Doctor Strange and Doctor Fate, realizes something is wrong, and he asks his servant, uh, Mr. Mix, who is a combination of Mr. Mixoplex and Wong, who summoned three of the other most spiritual and like magical characters in this universe, who is Bruce Banner Skulk, who is a combination of Bruce Banner the Hulk, but instead of hulking out into the Hulk, he hulks into Solomon Grundy. We have Frankie Rayner, who is a combination of the Green Lantern and Nova. And then lastly, we have Wanda Zatara, who is the White Witch, a combination of the Scarlet Witch and Zatanna. And basically, Doctor Strange Fate's like, there's this person called Axis. I need you to go get him. And as they all leave, Mr. Mix is like, why are you sending them if this is so important and not going yourself? And he's like, because they're probably going to get their asses kicked, and I just want to see what he can do before I enter the battle myself. Well, Frankie Rayner and Bruce end up meeting him. Bruce totally rages out and becomes Solomon Grundy. They both battle him, but right before they can get him, he teleports himself magically into the waiting arms of the White Witch, who kisses him and he passes out. She takes him back to Dr. Strangefade, who starts, like, performing magical tests and such on him, basically because Dr. Strangefade believes that he needs to destroy Axis because he realizes what he is and what he'll do, which is separate the Marvel and DC universe, which is actually kind of, like, an interesting thing because even though we're getting back to, like, our original universes of Marvel and DC, Dr. Strangefade and, like, all the other Amalgam characters for characters like covering right now would actually die if he did that so Dr. Strange Fate's actually just trying to save the world Axis still manages to escape and Dr. Strange Fate is super sad and he takes his helmet off revealing himself to be Charles Xavier and then we have his letters column which is the Strange Fate letters and there's also a bunch of interesting other references made to characters like Mephis Satanus, who's a mix of Mephisto and Satanus, and Baron Wotan, who's a mix of Baron Mordo plus Wotan. So, I mean, it's a very packed book full of uh, stuff, though a book that is packed even more to its detriment is JLX, which was written by Gerard Jones with help from Mark Wade, with Howard Porter, John Dell, Chris Eliopoulos, Gloria Vasquez and Heroic Age on the Arc Duties. And JLX is like a really weird team because it's split off from the Judgment League Avengers, who weirdly don't have a book because they're like the Justice League characters mixed with the Avengers. 
So you have like Angel Hawk, who's a mix of Hawkman and Archangel, and Captain Marvel, who's a mix of the Kree Captain Marvel and the DC Captain Marvel, and a bunch of other stuff. But they're after the Aqua Mariner, who's a mix of Namor plus Aquaman, for attacking some Roxxon tankers. But they eventually finally come to terms to stop fighting, and they end up heading down to Atlantis, the JLX, which consists of Marco Xavier, who's like Tony Stark meets Professor X, Night Creeper, who is Nightcrawler plus the Creeper, Apollo, who is the Ray plus Cyclops, Firebird, who's a mix of Fire and the Phoenix, Mercury, who is a mix of Impulse and Quicksilver, Runaway, who's a mix of Rogue and Gypsy, and Wraith, who's a mix of Obsidian and Gambit. When they finally get down to Atlantis, they find out that Will Magnus, who is Magneto's evil brother, who's also behind the Sentinel program, is down there, and he's after the Serpent Crown, which is another showing up of the Serpent Crown in comics. Yay! Mm -hmm. And the battle basically gets bad because Runaway has been slowly absorbing, like, the infinite darkness that makes up Obsidian, because, like, they can touch, but she keeps absorbing his darkness, and so she's sort of going a bit mad. So she ends up attacking the base, almost bringing it down. In the fight, Mr. X tries to save her, and it turns out that he's actually a Martian, so he's like Martian Manhunter instead of Professor X. And by this time, uh, Magnus has left, and the team is like, oh, well, we're not sure we can trust you, but if you're a weird outcast like us, you can still leave this team. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. It's a lot more overloaded than that. And the stuff with the JLA showing up but never actually having a part is just really pointless. It's like, oh, yeah, we have this other team that we could be telling a story about, and we don't weirdly do that. Uh, the letter column is called JL Express, and, yeah, that's... Mostly, there's other references to people like uh, Sunstorm, who's a mix of Firestorm plus Sunfire, Apocalypso, who's a mix of Apocalypse and Eclipso, and a few other people. Uh, after that, we have Legends of the Dark Claw, which was written by Larry Hama, with Jim Ballant, Ray McCarthy, Pat Garrahy, and Bill Oakley on art and lettering duties. And if you remember from our Marvel vs. DC episode, Dark Claw is a mix of Batman plus Wolverine, who's fighting the Hyena, who's a mix of Joker plus Sabretooth at the Gotham Gazette, with help from Sparrow, who is Jubilee plus Robin. Though I do love how she wanted her name to be Death Urge Overdrive, which is a very hardcore Jubilee thing. Absolutely. And as they're fighting... Uh, Carol Danvers, who is the huntress of this universe, ends up breaking into Logan Wayne's apartment, where apart from finding out that he paints a lot of pictures, like that's one of the things that he does for relaxation, she like opens up his and finds like all of his Dark Claw costumes just hung up. No effort made to hide them at all. And uh, Dark Claw ends up finding her and explains his background, how... He was part of a team that wanted to make uh, weapons, like perfect living weapons. He was a failure because he had empathy and emotions 
and Hyena does not have that, which is why he's the perfect weapon. And they find out that Hyena's plan is to destroy Air Force One with cyanide because he left a clue on the newspaper, which is why he broke in there. Dark Claw confronts him on Air Force One, and both of them end up getting sucked out. Hyena escapes, and Dark Claw ends up being saved by Sparrow. And the letter column is called Shred em and Weep, which includes a lot of really fun things like a fan requesting that Jubilee is replaced by a hotter babe or gnarly dude. Uh, there's also a letter complaining about Larry Hama making too many pop culture references, while another praises him for making all of the literary references that he does. Plus, there's a really bad song about Dark Claw that ends up being referenced in the second season of Amalgam Stuff. And you know what one of uh, Dark Claw's powers is? What? A magnetic personality. Oh, man. But you know who has actual magnetic powers? Magneto and the Magnetic Men. Transitions. Bam. Got Magneto and the Magnetic Men. Written by Gerard Jones with art by Jeff Matsuda, Art Thiebert, Jamie Mendoza, and Larry Stucker on the art team. And basically, you have the Magneto-type character. It's a crossover between Magneto and Doc Magnus. And he has his Magnetic Men with Cobalt, who is a mix-up of Marvel's Mastermind and DC's Gold. You have Nickel, who is a combination of Quicksilver and DC's Mercury. Antimony, who is a combination of the Scarlet Witch and Platinum. Which is totally creepy on a level. Mm Mm-hmm. Bismuth, which is a combination of Toad and Tin. And then Iron, who is a combination of Unis the Untouchable and um, John Henry Steele or Iron. And basically it starts off with Kokoro, who is a combination of Katana and Psylocke, trying to escape from Sinestron, who is a three-way combination between Brainiac, uh, Ultron, and Mr. Sinister. Magneto and the Magnetic Men manage to show up. They're able to save uh, Kokoro. But Sinestron flees back to the home base of Genosha. Magneto and the Magnetic Men follow them, find out that Sinestron is, like, experimenting and doing, like, terrible things to a bunch of the different mutants, very much like Mr. Sinister does. Uh, Magneto gets into his huge battle with Sinestron, but Sinestron manages to turn his like magnetic field back against Magneto so they both end up freezing and the magnetic men aren't able to do anything to help him because they're like parts of Magneto like he controls all of them they have like no free will of their own a lot of that has to do with the fact that the original brotherhood of evil mutants had been killed previously by Magneto's brother Will Magnus and he doesn't want to ever go through the pain of losing his family again, so he makes it so the Magnetic Men can't have like any personalities for him to grow attached to. But one by one, the Magnetic Men are actually able to break free and become their own person, and together they all defeat Sinestron and free all of the mutants before all their tankers are destroyed. And it all ends with Magneto and the Magnetic Men being like, yeah, we're now a super team. And Magneto's like, you are all my children of the corn. And that's pretty much where that one ends. Yep. And it has a magnetic mail call for its letters column. Which, it it wasn't really a super good issue or anything. 
But you know what's much, much that worse? Actually, that was probably, like, the, that issue probably had, like, the most, like, 90s art. At least from, like, some of the ones I was reading. With, like, the over-exaggerated faces at the very least. I might say it has the most, like, unintentionally unintentionally 90s art. Like, there's, uh, whatchamacallit later on, um... Oh, the X Patrol, which is very '90s art, but I think that's, that's a lot true. more intentional. But you know what is uh, much, much worse than Magneto and the Magnetic Men? What? Speed Demon. Yeah, let's talk about Speed Demon. Yeah, do you just want me to run over Speed Demon because, like, when we covered it before, it's not very well written. It's not very clear. No, I can do it. Okay. Uh, Speed Demon, written by Howard Mackey and James Feldworth, art by Salvador La Roca, who, man, he got a lot better after this. Al Milgram, Richard Starrings doing the letters, and Kevin Tinsley on the colors. Uh, basically, it starts off with Hal Jordan almost being murdered, and right before he can be, he is basically saved by Speed Demon. Except for, oh, just kidding. Um, the Watcher, who is a combination of the Guardians and Uwachi the Watcher, has come to destroy him. Uh, right after that, you have a nice little team-up of... Actually, yeah, you just want to run through it. Yeah. Uh, so basically, there's this fight between the Night Spectre, who's a combination of Spectre plus Nightmare, and the Speed Demon, who's Blaze Allen, which is like Barry Allen, the Flash plus Etrigan, plus Johnny Blaze, the Ghost Rider. And Night Spectre had killed his wife uh, before their wedding day to take her soul because there's this massive thing where if Night Spectre gets enough souls, he essentially becomes an all-powerful being. And the two types of souls that they need are either super good souls, like his wife, or super bad souls, like the various villains in the world. And so Speed Demon is trying to take these souls. The next one that they need is from the Green Goblin, who is Harvey Osborn, a mix of Green Goblin plus Two-Face. And so the two fight. You have a few cameos from people like Scarecrow, who's a mix of the Scarecrows, Silicon Man, who's a mix of Plastic Man plus Sandman, and Arrowcaster, who's a mix of Speedy plus Nightcaster. Night Spectre ends up pulling Green Goblin into his own dimension, where he's stuck. Luckily for him, uh, Kid Demon, who is Wally West plus Ghost Rider, but he's only called Kid Demon in the trading cards that came with the game that came out at the same time as the series. Weirdly, he ends up making a similar deal with the Wizard Merlin. He's able to free his, uh, he's able to free Speed Demon, and together they take down Night Spectre. But then the question is, oh. Well if, Knights, well, if Speed Demon is possessed by the spirit of Jay Garrick, who was turned into a demon or something, then who's possessing Kid Demon? But it doesn't really get addressed. It, it's not a really well-told story to any degree. We have, like, the worst-named character of all, which is Blaze Allen. Yeah. 420. With a stupid rat tail. Yeah. Uh, one of the neat things is that you get a... You get some of the other people from the circus where he works at, like Miss Miracle, who's a mix of Crystal from the Inhumans, plus Mr. Miracle, Puck, who is Oberon, plus Puck, and Blob, who is Chunk, plus Blob. I have no idea who Chunk is, but... Yeah, me neither. 
But you know what's a much, much better series, Devin? What? Spider-Boy. Oh my god, Spider-Boy is so good. Yeah, Spider-Boy makes me wish Carl Kessel was more regularly writing comics. Right. Yeah, Carl Kessel's on writing with Mark Wieringo, Gary Martin, and Joe Rosas, and Bill Oakley also doing the art team. Uh, basically, this starts off with Bizarnage, a combination of Bizarro and Carnage, who, for anyone who reads more modern comics, basically looks like anti-Venom. Uh, he's basically attacking everyone. Spider-Boy is after him on the case. We find out that Johnny Storm is the person who is being possessed right now by Bizarnage. And Spider-Boy's like, well, I gotta save him because I don't think he should die. I think he should be maimed, but not necessarily die. And he manages to stop him by getting the Bizarnage to be pulled into like a little holding tank. Johnny's super happy, especially too because his like little mini clone of himself also survived the process. The Johnny Stormtrooper. Yes. And turns out that ooh, evil Reed Richards might have been the cause of this. And once again, we have him not really loving Sue. Classic comics never changes. Well, but it, also at this point in time. They do. Well, hold on, hold on, Devin, hold on. They do clear that up with the challengers of the fantastic issue, where it turns out that Reed is being possessed by a scientist who's very obviously turning Reed into an evil person at the time. Yes. But we also have now King Lizard has escaped in the process. He is a mix-up of the Lizard and King Shark. He has also eaten Doc Kirk Connors' arm. In the process. Well, no, he is Kurt Connor's arm. Oh, sorry, yes, he is Kurt Connor's arm. My mistake. That's a major mistake. I know, it really is. Oh, and then at this time, Spider-Boy's making the run, because he's got to go stop King Lizard. He's going to get his cool spider car, which is pretty much a playoff of the Spider-Mobile, but at the same time, it has the cool flying powers of, like, Nick Fury's flying cars as well. Dr. Octopus is the person who's kind of in charge of his car. And right before he leaves, he reminds Peter that he has a uh, blind date with one of his friends later that night. Something that he is absolutely dreading. Uh, At this point in time, we kind of get the whole backstory on Spider-Boy. He was kind of being put through um, Project Rebirth, which is what gave Captain America his powers. Everything kind of screwed up, and Peter died, and Spider-Boy is made, and Spider-Boy is basically just a clone. Uh, His uncle in this universe is Uncle Jen, who is General Ross. Well, just like every time with all Spider-Man stories, it's time for Uncle Jen to die, and Spider-Boy goes off to become the superhero to do with the whole with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, Spider-Boy ends up going to the Daily Bugle, where he's trying to get more information on the location of Lizard King. Uh, The Bugle's borderline just a tabloid who's claiming that Peter's about to have the child with an insect queen. J. Jonah Jameson is all hot and bothered about this, and he manages to find Lizard King on top of the roof. And at this point in time, he tries to take down Lizard King with Ray Palmer's shrinking ray. He ends up screwing up, and it's about to explode. And so to save everyone in the city, he just shoves the exploding ray down Lizard King's throat, who then shrinks down into the microverse. And then at that point in time, Doc Ock ends up showing up because he heard the big explosion and says, oh, hey, it's also time for you to have your blind date. 
and introduces her to the insect queen, who is Mary Jane Watson. Introduces him to the lizard queen. Insect queen. Yeah. Yeah, introduces him to the lizard. Introduces him to the insect queen. Yes. Who is Mary Jane Watson. Mm-hmm. And then the letters column is P.O. Box Cadmus. The only part that wasn't truly inspired. Yeah. So you know what my favorite inspired bit was? What? Well, you mentioned how they have Ray Palmer as the Atom, and he's obsessed with making things smaller, but you also have him as, like, a rival uh, doctor with Hank Pym, who's obsessed with making things bigger. Yes. Which is fantastic. But another thing that's fantastic is Super Soldier, which was uh, by Mark Wade and Dave Gibbons, with uh, colors by Angus McKee. And if you notice that the creative team is very small for that, it's because Mark Wade and Dave Gibbons did everything from co-plotting, uh, script, art, and unfortunately lettering. I'm mentioning the lettering because the letter because the lettering in this issue is absolutely terrible. Like it's very like it's just not good at all. To the point where I am, like, taking time out of these summaries that we're doing to mention how bad it is. Uh, Basically, in 1938, a rocket crash landed in Kansas, and the government ended up finding dead cells from an alien that was inside of it to make the super soldier serum, which was given to an unnamed person who developed superpowers, and with his friend Jimmy Olsen, who became his photographer, they fought in the war. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Super Soldier vanished while fighting Ultra Metallo, who, he's just a giant robot. Now in modern times, Jimmy has been captured by the Green Skull, and he has discovered that Ultra Metallo had defeated Super Soldier. So when Jimmy stumbles back into the Daily Planet, which he runs, uh, he finds Sharon Carter, Clark Kent, and all of his other employees are like, shocked to find out that Jimmy's just been beaten up. Luckily, Clark Kent is Super Soldier, and he had been recently rescued from the ice by the JLA, but he is constantly growing weaker. Uh, Super Soldier crashes into the Hydra base, where he finds out that Luther, who is still alive, has been posing as a tragic philanthropist just because he invented the bombs that ended the war using kryptonite, and Luthor is out for revenge to finally crush Super Soldier, and to do this, he has brought back Ultra Metallo, which is powered by Green K, which disrupts the alien cells in Super Soldier. Super Soldier refuses to step down and eventually realizes that Green K can be blocked off by lead. And so he impales the robot with a lead pipe and then tries to capture Luther, who is publicly revealed to be a terrorist. And that leads into the Bruce Wayne Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. series. The letter column is called Mail Call. And one of the neat things is that they went and combined a bunch of uh, classic creators' names. So letters are from people like Simon Schuster, Otto Sternburn, and Kirby Siegel. With the next issue promising Doom Knot, a mix of Doomsday plus the Juggernaut. And now speaking of Carl Kessel-Devin, even though we didn't just mention... Carl Kessel. You know another one of his great series was that he did with his wife at the time? X-Patrol. 
Heck yeah. And here, yeah, we have Carol and Barbara Kessel on the writing with Roger Cruz, Tom Vincent, John Holdridge on the art. And here we have the X-Patrol has been summoned with such characters as Shatter Starfire, who is a combination of Shatterstar and Starfire, who is a princess of Kamajaran, was betrayed by her own people for being too bloodthirsty and bat like war crazy until she was rescued by Spider-Boy and is now on the Earth. We have Beastling, who is a combination of uh, Beast and Changeling, or Beast Boy as others might know him, who had a deadly disease that his parents managed to save him from, but as a result, he's able to change into bizarre and fantastic creatures. Uh, we have Paige Guthrie, who is, a, who is um, Husk, who is a combination of uh, Husk and also... Shoot, what's the name of the word? Luke, help me out. Oh, uh, the Dial H for Hero Dial and yeah. Crazy Jane from Doom Patrol. Yes. And then we have Rasputin, a.k.a. the Pharaoh Man. Which, I mean, everyone knows him. Peter Rasputin is also a Colossus. And Robot Man. Yes. And then lastly, we have Jana Van Dyne, who is kind of a combination of Wasp and the Domino. And then also, most importantly, we have Niles Cable, who is a combination of Cable and Niles from the hit TV show, Frasier. Uh, no, that's Niles Calder, who normally runs the Doom Patrol. I don't think so. Okay, there's no tossed salads or scrambled eggs all over his face. So it's not Niles, and he's not constantly pining after his brother's housekeeper. That we see in this issue. This is just issue one, Luke. It takes time to get there. Uh, no. In the first issue, Niles is pining after the uh, housekeeper whose name I am forgetting right now. Well, we don't see who the housekeeper is until Exciting X-Patrol, the next issue. (laughs) Uh, Okay, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, basically, yeah, we have, like, it's kind of more like the classic Cable storyline. He's from the future. He's come back. Hey, everyone, we gotta stop this evil future I'm coming from. So I'm gonna make the exciting X-Patrol so that we can have great adventures and also, like, stop my evil future from happening. Uh, to do so, we're gonna go attack Dr. Doomsday. It's a combination of Dr. Doom and Doomsday. He's got some evil machine. They gotta stop it. Cable tells Shatter Starfire, who's very reluctant, that the only way she's ever going to give back to her people is if she helps him. Uh, basically, Paige is the standout of this entire series because she just keeps switching into different personalities, and it's phenomenal. Yeah, like she completely transforms with a new costume and everything. Yeah, Paige becomes Polaris. Uh, Cable discovers that Doomsday is trying to bring heroes from other worlds. And you basically see it's the normal characters from other worlds. We see, like, Spider-Man, Superman, Wolverine. And he's going to try to bring those heroes here to dis- capture and take over the Amalgam universe. Uh, they manage to destroy the machine and stop Dr. Doomsday. But in the process, Cable's trapped under the machine. And Paige gets it off him by coming Mary Marvel Girl, a combination of Marvel Girl and Mary Marvel, the sister of uh, Shazam. But in the process at the end, Cable can't feel his legs becoming the true iteration of Charles Xavier, a.k.a. Professor X. Uh, no, Niles Calder also was in a wheelchair. Not at the beginning of the issue. 
No, Niles Calder from Doom Patrol was always in a wheelchair. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, Doom Patrol started the same time as X-Men did. But X-Men got a lot more attention. So, I mean, yeah. Well, I didn't read that, Luke, so how would I? (laughs) Because I told you the last time we recorded this part of the episode. Actually, no, I don't think you did. Well, I I don't think you had mentioned him being like Professor X. But yeah, uh, my personal favorite uh, transformation from Dial Husk in this issue was Wonder Girl, who's a combination of Wonder Man and Wonder Girl. So it's like Wonder Girl's star costume mixed with like the red W from Wonder Man and Wonder Man shades. It is an on-point look. Oh, yeah. Pretty much like all of her looks in this series are on point. Mm-hmm. And then our letter column is the patrol log. Yep. After that, we have Challengers of the Fantastic, which is the start of the second volume of Stories, which was written by Carl Kessel, with Tom Grummet, Al Vey, Richard Strikings and Comicraft, Joe Rosas, and Digital Chameleon. And... The Fantastic Four are a combination of the Fantastic Four along with the Challengers of the Unknown. So Sue Storm's nickname is Ace, Reed Richards' nickname is Prof, Johnny Storm's nickname is Red, and Senator Ben Grimm's nickname is Rocky. And we get a flashback where we find out that Dr. Victor Von Doom uh, was guiding their secret flight into outer space, but he got jealous because even though this was going to be a top-secret flight, they were going to, like, get all of the accolades for it, so he decided to, like, set their ship to crash. But because they all walked out alive, they were like, hey, we're all sort of into this whole almost dying thing, so let's go with that. And so we start off years later with Senator Ben Grimm meeting with Bronze Tiger, who's a mix of Black Panther and Bronze Tiger, as they are meeting with the members of the now communist guerrilla city. So you have uh, Red Ghost, who normally commands a group of guerrillas, Comrade Grodd, who's Gorilla Grodd, Congo Red, who's a mix of Congo Rilla, and a few other guerrillas who they've decided that it's their ancestral right to control all of Africa, including Wakanda. But Ben ends up getting a call of Fantastic Mountain, and he's like, yep, screw this, we've got other stuff. Uh, meanwhile, Reed Richards is examining Universe 2, which is an alternate universe to the Amalgam universe, where like the superhero generation started earlier, and now they're like dealing with a lot of other weird teams, like the Infinity Kickers Inc., which is a mix of Infinity Inc. and Kickers Inc. Kickers Inc. was a comic book about a super-powered football player, so that's weird. Uh, meanwhile, Johnny is playing Spider-Boy Total Bizarnage with his buddy Johnny Stormtrooper, that tiny clone of himself, but he's upset because the love of his life, Dream Crystal, uh, was taken back by her people, and so you have a bunch of mashups of the Forever People plus the Inhumans. And meanwhile, Sue Storm, who got a new haircut, has called them because Uatu the Guardian, who is somehow alive now, uh, he's shown up uh, to he's shown up to warn them because Galactiac is coming to Earth. Uh, ben wants to reach out to June Masters, who's the daughter of Multi Master, 
uh, their combinations of Multi-Man and Puppet Master, and then June Robbins and Alicia Masters. Yeah, so Ben wants to reach out to her for help. The rest of the team is a bit wary until Reed reminds him that she helped to cure him from the evil DNA that was turning him evil back in that Spider-Boy issue. And as they are discussing this, Computo, their computer says that one of the challengers is going to die in this event. June is like, yeah, no, I want to go along because I'm an honorary member. And everyone's like, okay. When they end up getting to the Baxter building, they find out that the Silver Racer, who's a mix of the Silver Surfer and the Black Racer, who is the essentially Grim Reaper of the new Asgods, is there because he's going to have to claim one of the dead challengers. They end up meeting Galactiac, who explains that he's not going to destroy the entire planet. He's going to bottle a tiny city and then destroy it. So Johnny and his stormtrooper are sent in to help deactivate the machine uh, with help from Uatu. And June tries to petition Silver Racer to help them, eventually reaching his heart, but he's still unable to do anything. Uh, ben messes with the machine, so he gets turned into a four-armed version of the thing that starts attacking the other members of the Challengers of the Fantastic. Uh, all while Dr. Doom's day, which is what Dr. Doom has become, is watching. Uh, Reed ends up saving Sue, while they end up getting him to destroy part of Galactiac's ship, while Johnny also strikes his target inside, but as they, uh... All meet back up. The Silver Racer is still come to collect his quarry. Uh, ben gets turned back to human. And because Galactiac has been defeated, his head just flies off of his body. Which is pretty great because Brainiac's ship is normally his head. But on a massive scale. And uh, as they're talking, it turns out that the member of the Challengers of the Fantastic that died was Johnny Stormtrooper. And then we end with... Reed and Ben wondering if they could turn Ben into that monster again because it would help in fighting. And Dr. Doomsday has stolen the powers from the Silver Racer. The letters column is called the Challenger's Mountain O-Mail. And we find out about stuff like Tina Lumpkin, who's Johnny's half-brother and the mailman of the team. Uh, the Challenger Haters of Evil, which is their mix of the Challenger Haters and the Masters of Evil. Uh, the much-maligned robot pet Cosby, and the uh, we also have references to a few other comic companies like the Thunder Crusaders, which was a mix of Thunder Agents and the Mighty Crusaders, which were comics whose rights had been sort of mixed up. Uh, they were formerly published by Radio Tower Comics, which was a mix of radio comics, which eventually became Archie Comics, which has now spun those comics into Dark Circle, and Tower Comics. And uh, it's just one of those really fun, harder bits to dive into of continuity that they're referencing. But overall, the issue was a whole bunch of fun. And speaking of really fun issues, we have Dark Claw Adventures next, which was by Ty Templeton with Rick Burchett, Linda Medley, and Tim Harkins. And Dark Claw Adventures is sort of a mix of the Dark Claw idea, but if they had a Batman the Animated Series comic about it. And if you haven't read the Batman the Animated Series comics, uh, the Batman Adventures series, as it's called, 
those are really, really good stories, and a lot of them are on par with the Batman series. In the same way that the Superman uh, animated adventure series was on par, if not better than the comic. Or, if not better than the TV show. And we start off with Logan disguised as Patch Malone, who's a mix of Patch and Matches Malone, who's playing cards when two Cyber Ninja assassins show up. And because they recognize his voice, they try and fight him. He takes them both out, and Sparrow ends up picking him up. And Logan realizes that this means that Lady Italia, who's a mix of Talia Al Ghul and Lady Deathstrike, is now back. Uh, we get a flashback to the fight where uh, Logan and Raza Apocalypse, who's a mix of Raza Al Ghul and Apocalypse, are fighting uh, when Raz ended up ending his battle for sort of an unknown reason, slash he had to release a virus that would kill all the mutants. Uh, Dark Claw ended up shooting his plane down with a missile, and then left, and Lady Talia ended up burning off 90% of her skin, trying to save her father, and then ended up with adamantium limbs. And so Dark Claw is back at his cave, which is awesome. Uh, he has the classic attributes of that cave, so he has a giant playing card, but it's a giant card for Deadeye. He has a T-Rex, but it looks sort of like Devil Dinosaur. And instead of having the giant penny, he has a giant Canadian nickel. So he ends up having Sparrow set up the danger caves uh, so he can practice. So he ends up fighting villains like the Two-Faced Goblin, Cybercroc, Bloodcrow, uh, Hyena, Spiral Harley, Omega Beast. And it turns out that Tali has broken in and tied up Sparrow. And she talks about how she needs to get retribution, and so he just lets her stab him through the heart and presumably dies. As Lady Tally is starting to free Sparrow, she's talking about like how much she regrets that she had to kill the man who she loved, and that ultimately was pointless. And then it reveals that Dark Claw was alive, and he let her kill him, sort of to get it out of her system. And he empathizes with her saying that he understands that seeking revenge isn't really helpful. The letter column is just called Dark Claw Adventures, but it talks about how the animated series was put together by Fox Bros and was made by Bruce Dini and Paul Tim instead of Paul Tim or Bruce Tim and Paul Dini. And there's also rumors of a direct-to-video movie, which was neat because this was around the time that you had those direct-to-video Batman movies coming out. Mm-hmm. I also really like this one, too, because it, like, to me, really emphasized the fact that I feel like the writers were not communicating at all with one another for this, like, whole event. Mm-hmm. Just because you were talking about how it's, like, I'm with the Two-Faced Goblin, where earlier we have the Two-Faced and the Green Goblin, but he was still just the Green Goblin. He was just Harvey Osborn. Yeah, I just, think... Just, like, minor things, like, here and there. It's just, like, I feel like you guys should have, like, communicated a little bit more. Yeah, well, uh, Two-Faced Goblin is a better name. Oh, I agree. No arguments there. It's more of a... It's already been established other places as something else. Yeah, but I'm not going to complain too much because it was still, like, the best issue from what we've read at this point, in my yeah. opinion. And it was also exciting, but you know what's even more exciting? The exciting X-Patrol. This one, just written by Barbara Kessel, with Brian Hitch, Paul Neary, Joe Andriani, and Rich Starkings on doing the art team. 
And here we have Shatter, Starfire, and Cable have started off getting their asses kicked by Brother Brood, who is a amalgam of Brother Blood and the Brood. And he also controls all the Brood, who are like basically like aliens from the movie Aliens. They're just like evil infectious species. Other uh, team is arguing now because Cable has now sent Shatter Starfire back to Earth by taking control of her body and her powers and sending her, making her fly away, essentially. Um, as they're now trying to get back, they're arguing over trying to trust this new member called Jericho, who has shown up, and he basically looks like a more metallic version of Ben Grimm the Thing. But they end up trusting him because they feel they just absolutely need to, and they need as many people as they can get, and they have to go get Cable right now. Uh, Cable starts kind of having, like, crazy visions, because now he's, like, super wounded. And then Ravenia, his former lover, appears to him, uh, who is an amalgam of Raven and Jen Scott. And she causes him to remember his future, which causes him to get super sad and realizing just even more how much he needs to save the day. Uh, the X-Patrol starts showing up. They start kicking everyone's ass. Paige turns into Artemis D. Knight. The bionic and, Amazon archer. Yep. And basically, yeah. And after that, um, Terra X or shows up, who is a combination of Terra from the Teen Titans comic, and Terex, the Destroyer, who is usually one of the Heralds of Galactus. Um, they end up showing up. They start having a fight with the X-Patrol. They manage to defeat her. And then Brother Brood infects Cable with uh, one of some Brood's eggs. Jericho, who turns out to be a younger version of Cable, revealing that he's basically a combination of Jericho and X-Man, says that he is here to stop him because he can't let his future self die. And because if this happens, then basically the Brood will start taking over the Earth. The humans will eventually defeat the Brood, but they will always hate mutants forever because they were the cause of this. Uh, they managed to defeat Brother Brood together, but everyone thinks Cable's about to die. But then Ravenia ends up showing up and is able to heal Cable so that he can continue on living. Well, Dial Husk turns into Ravinia. Oh, is that actually what happens? No. It's, yeah, she's no, like, no. She turns into Ravinia. No, she's like living inside of him. No, like Dial Husk turns into Ravinia. Are you sure about I don't think so, dude. Yeah, no, I am pretty dang sure of it. I am pretty sure that is not true. Well, we can agree to disagree for right now. We can, well, because it was like she was like parts of her was like still living inside of him was the whole deal. And then at the end, Dial Husk transforms to try and heal him, and she turns into Ravinia. Where? Show me where she transforms, Luke. <sighs> Making me pull up the issues, Devin. Yeah, I have the issue in front of me. As the others speak, Niles is only dimly aware of the of their words. As he feels her touch again. Okay, Raven okay, hold on. Know, I am so proud of you, my love, but it's not yet time. Just rest and heal. Then she is gone, and he knows it is for the last time. And then, in the next panel, or, like, on that very same panel, you have Paige, who is standing over Cable right where Ravinia had been. Yeah, but she didn't change. It was Ravenia taking her over. 
It was like actually Ravenia, dude. I'd say that she changed. I mean, she looked... I would say she's not, because she's saying right there, why are y'all staring at me? I didn't even change that time. We'll agree to disagree. And then everyone goes home happy because now we have to super duper fight for the future. We have two cables on our team, so we can kick so much ass. And then we do not get a letters column in this one, but we get a bonus amalgam pinup of Brother Brood, which does look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the neat things is that when Cable is going over like all of his flashbacks, we have a bunch of uh, mashups like Black Orchid the Unknown, the Microstar Micronauts, Vigilante Kid, Prez, Master of Kung Fu, uh, the Sea Devil Dinosaurs, Dead Devil, the Man Without Life, Silver Tornado, Atomic Black Knight, and I think that's all of them, so I should have put that and in before. But that well, fit, well, well, it ends with and mostly her Ravenia. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, it's a lot of fun. They put in a bunch of great ideas. Artemisty Night, the Bionic Amazon Archer, is top, top shelf. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that, that finishes up our amalgam coverage for this week. Next week, we'll be back finishing up the series that we did not cover. So you'll have things like Lobo the Duck. Bat Thing and Thor Ryan, along with a few more uh, sequels and more disappointing issues in some places. Well, and more Spider Boy. Yep. Uh, but that wraps us up for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. It's been a year since we started this podcast. Uh, this last weekend I went going, or I went to the movie marathon alone. It was not the same without you, Devin. Thank you, Luke. Yeah. No, I hope to go sometime in the future soon. And, uh, yeah, if you've enjoyed the podcast at all this week, uh, please consider donating to our Patreon. We normally put a decent amount of time into at least our research for the episode, not to mention recording and editing. And, uh... Yeah, I think that wraps it up. Uh, you can see the image gallery for this episode at MultiverseQ.com. You can follow MultiverseQ on Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr, though Tumblr is really just reposting stuff. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. We always really appreciate that, and we'll read your review no matter how weird it is on the show. And then where can they find you, Devin? You can find me on the Twitter at Fred Ofet, F-R-E-G-D-O-F-E-T-T. And you can find me on Twitter at at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week as we wrap up this access and amalgam stuff.